to Reading the Church Fathers. Today we are going to be continuing in the first epistle of Clement. Fair warning to some people who might be listening and going, wow, these guys go on for a long time. You're absolutely right. Chances are we are going to be in patristics for a very long time, streaming on the Very Lutheran Project Telegram channel, and that's a good thing. I think everybody needs a little bit more comfy in their lives, and if you can give me half an hour or so of your week for comfy reading in audiobook format, you're always invited to come in and listen to it live. But with that, we continue with chapter 34 of the Epistle of First Clement to the Corinthians. Great is the reward of good works with God, joined together in harmony. Let us implore that reward from him. The good servant receives the bread of his labor with confidence. The lazy and slothful cannot look his employer in the face. It is requisite, therefore, that we be prompt in the practice of well-doing, for of him are all things. And thus he forewarns us, Behold, the Lord cometh, and his reward is before his face to render to every man according to his work. He exhorts us, therefore, with our whole heart to attend to this, that we be not lazy or slothful in any good work. Let our boasting and our confidence be in him. Let us submit ourselves to his will. Let us consider the whole magnitude of his angels, how they stand ever ready to minister to his will. For the scripture saith, Ten thousand times ten thousand stood around him, and thousands and thousands ministered unto him, and cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of Sabaoth, the whole creation is full of his glory. And let us therefore conscientiously, gathering together in harmony, cry to him earnestly, as with one mouth, that we may be made partakers of his great and glorious promises. For the scripture saith, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which he hath prepared for them that wait for him. You'll notice before we continue on that speaking with one mouth, crying to God with one mouth, becomes something of a foundation for liturgical worship. And St. Clement here provides some good evidence that the early church, seeing how angels worship God in the throne room of heaven, ought to be doing the same, being of the same mind and speech as they gather together. And bringing up gathering together and speaking with one mouth provides a little bit of that basis for how magisterial Christians or liturgical Christians gather for worship. Chapter 35 says, Immense is the reward. How shall we obtain it? How blessed and wonderful, beloved, are the gifts of God. Life in immortality, splendor in righteousness, truth in perfect confidence, faith in assurance, self-control in holiness. And all these fall under the cognizance of our understandings now. What then shall those things be which are prepared for such as wait for him, the creator and father of all worlds, the most holy, alone knows their amount and their beauty, 
Let us therefore earnestly strive to be found in the number of those that wait for him, in order that we may share in his promised gifts. But how, beloved, shall this be done? If our understanding be fixed by faith towards God, if we earnestly seek the things which are pleasing and acceptable to him, if we do the things which are in harmony with his blameless will, and if we follow the way of truth, casting away from us all unrighteousness and iniquity, along with all covetousness, strife, evil practices, deceit, whispering, and evil speaking, all hatred of God, pride and haughtiness, vainglory and ambition, for they that do such things are hateful to God, and not only they that do them, but also those that take pleasure in them that do them. For the scripture saith, But to the sinner God said, Wherefore dost thou declare my statutes, and take my covenant into thy mouth, seeing thou hatest instruction, and casteth my words behind thee? When thou sawest a thief, thou consentedst to be with him, and did make thy portion with adulterers. Thy mouth has abounded with wickedness, and thy tongue contrived deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things thou hast done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest, wicked one, that I should be like unto thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set thyself before thee. Consider now these things, ye that forget God, lest he tear you in pieces like a lion, and there be none to deliver. The sacrifice of praise will glorify me, and a way is there by which I will show him the salvation of God. More of an, an example of St. Clement using both law and gospel at various times in not quite a Lutheran fashion, but when we read from chapter 32 and chapter 33, we saw the gospel, the promise of free grace through faith in Christ, and then we see the third use of the law. But given that Clement's epistle is a long address to the congregation, he circles it back around to law and the condemnation of sin, the law functioning as a mirror. Chapter 36. All blessings are given to us through Christ. This is the way, beloved, in which we find our Savior, even Jesus Christ, the high priest of all our offerings, the defender and helper of our infirmity. By him we look up to the heights of heaven. By him we behold, as in a glass, his immaculate and most excellent visage. By him are the eyes of our hearts opened. By him our foolish and darkened understanding blossoms up anew toward his marvelous light. By him the Lord has willed that we should taste of immortal knowledge, who being the brightness of his majesty is by so much greater than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For it is thus written, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But concerning his son, the Lord spoke thus, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And again he saith to him, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. But who are his enemies? 
all the wicked, and those who set themselves to oppose the will of God. A couple things to notice about this chapter. He quotes the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7 regarding uh, obtaining a more excellent name than the angels, which lends credence to the early recognition of the book of Hebrews as canon. And he is also speaking of Jesus Christ as the high priest of all our offerings, the defender and helper of our infirmity. The high priestly language concerning Christ directly belongs to the book of Hebrews. Again, my pet theory here is that St. Clement is writing with so many quotations from the scriptures, probably because during the late 1st century, early 2nd century church, they didn't have much of an opportunity to get more Bible to people. So if he was going to be writing an epistle, he was going to be including as much of the Word of God as he could afford to quote. Chapter 37 writes, Christ is our leader, and we his soldiers. Let us then, men and brethren, with all energy, act the part of soldiers, in accordance with his holy commandments. Let us consider those who serve under our generals with what order, obedience, and submissiveness they perform the things which are commanded them. All are not prefects, nor commanders of a thousand, nor of a hundred, nor fifty, nor the like, but each one in his own rank performs the things commanded by the king and the generals. The great cannot subsist without the small, nor the small without the great. There is a kind of mixture in all things, and thence arises mutual advantage. Let us take our body for an example. The head is nothing without the feet, and the feet are nothing without the head. Yea, the very smallest members of our body are necessary and useful to the whole body, but all work harmoniously together and are under one common rule for the preservation of the whole body. Chapter 38. Let the members of the church submit themselves, and no one exalt himself above another. Let our whole body, then, be preserved in Christ Jesus, and let everyone be subject to his neighbor according to the special gift bestowed upon him. Let the strong not despise the weak, and let the weak show respect unto the strong. Let the rich man provide for the wants of the poor, and let the poor man bless God, because he hath given him one by whom his need may be supplied. Let the wise man display his wisdom, not by mere words, but through good deeds. Let the humble not bear testimony to himself, but leave witness to be born to him by another. Let him that is pure in the flesh not grow proud of it and boast, knowing that it was another who bestowed on him the gift of continence. Let us consider then, brethren, of what matter we were made, who and what manner of beings we came into the world, as it were, out of a sepulchre and from utter darkness, he who made us and fashioned us, having prepared his bountiful gifts for us before we were born, introduced us into his world. Since, therefore, we receive all these things from him, we ought for everything to give him thanks, to whom be glory for ever and ever. 
Amen. Now that is not the end of the epistle, but it is good to note here that he brought up the gift of continence when he says, let him that is pure in the flesh not grow proud of it and boast, knowing that it was another who bestowed on him the gift of continence or celibacy. At this time, the church was starting to consider a vocation of virginity, not necessarily going into the full-blown vocation of monks and nuns with the monastic orders there. But there was a seed of it in their mind, especially as some of the Apostolic Fathers literature does speak to that, and eventually it only grows. Whether you believe it metastasized into a cancer in the church, or whether you believed it was fitting and proper, uh, belongs to your denomination, really. Chapter 39 says, There is no reason for self-conceit. Foolish and inconsiderate men, who have neither wisdom nor instruction, mock and deride us, being eager to exalt themselves in their own conceits. For what can a mortal man do? Or what strength is there in one made out of the dust? For it is written, There was no shape before mine eyes, only I heard a sound and a voice saying, What then? Shall a man be pure before the Lord? Or shall such a one be counted blameless in his deeds, seeing he does not confide in his servants and has charged even his angels with perversity? The heaven is not clean in his sight, how much less they that dwell in houses of clay, of which also we ourselves were made. He smote them as a moth, and from morning even until evening they endure not, because they could furnish no assistance to themselves, they perished. He breathed upon them and they died, because they had no wisdom. But call now, if any one will answer thee, or if thou wilt look to any of the holy angels. For wrath destroys the foolish man, and envy killeth him that is in error. I have seen the foolish taking root, but their habitation was presently consumed. Let their sons be far from safety, let them be despised, before the gates of those less than themselves, and let there be none to deliver. For what was prepared for them the righteous shall eat, and they shall not be delivered from evil. Of course, this passage being something of a pastiche of various quotes from the book of Job, not all of which being just from Job himself. If you'd like more information on that, we have a Job series on SoundCloud. Chapter 50. Let us, sorry, chapter 40. Let us preserve in the church the order appointed by God. These things, therefore, being manifest to us, and since we look into the depths of the divine knowledge, it behoves us to do all things in their proper order, which the Lord has commanded us to perform at stated times. He has enjoined offerings to be presented and service to be performed to him, that not, not thoughtlessly or irregularly, but at the appointed times and hours, where and by whom he desires these things to be done. He himself has fixed by his own supreme will, in order that all things being piously done according to his good pleasure, may be acceptable unto him. Those, therefore, who present their offerings at the appointed times are accepted and blessed, 
For inasmuch as they follow the laws of the Lord, they sin not. For his own peculiar services are assigned to the high priest, and their own proper place is prescribed to the priests, and their own special ministrations devolve on the Levites. The layman is bound by the laws that pertain to laymen. Chapter 41, Continuation of the Same Subject Let every one of you, brethren, give thanks to God in his own order, living in all good conscience with becoming gravity and not going beyond the rule of the ministry prescribed to him. Not in every place, brethren, are the daily sacrifices offered, nor the peace offerings, or the sin offerings, and the trespass offerings, but in Jerusalem only. And even there they are not offered in any place, but only at the altar before the temple, that which is offered being first carefully examined by the high priest and the ministers already mentioned. Those, therefore, who do anything beyond that which is agreeable to his will are punished with death. Ye see, brethren, that the greater the knowledge that has been vouchsafed to us, the greater also is the danger to which we are exposed. Note here that St. Clement speaks of the temple in Jerusalem as though it were still standing. At the time, however, when Clement wrote this letter, late 1st century, early 2nd century A.D., the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. There was nothing left of it. So the chances are he is reaching back into his knowledge of the Old Testament to discuss the dynamics that were at work there to show the kind of hierarchy that the children of Israel had and the proper order of things. There has been a schism and there's a schismatic party in Clement's church in Corinth he is trying to address that by appealing to order and hierarchy in the Old Testament. Chapter 42 says the order of ministers in the church. The apostles have preached the gospel to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has done so from God. Christ, therefore, was sent forth by God and the apostles by Christ. Both these appointments, then, were made in an orderly way according to the will of God. Having therefore received their orders, and being fully assured by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and established in the word of God with full assurance of the Holy Ghost, they went forth proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand, and thus, preaching through countries and cities, they appointed the firstfruits of their labors, having first proved them by the Spirit to be bishops and deacons of those who should afterwards believe. Nor was this any new thing, since indeed many ages before it was written concerning bishops and deacons. For thus saith the Scripture in a certain place, I will appoint their bishops in righteousness and their deacons in faith. From Isaiah chapter 40 verse 17 in the Septuagint. Clement alters the text a little bit to make his point. In the Septuagint, it says, I will give thy rulers in peace and thy overseers in righteousness. Chapter 43, Moses of old stilled the contention which arose concerning the priestly dignity. In what order is it if those in Christ who were entrusted with such a duty by God appointed those ministers before mentioned, when the blessed Moses also, a faithful servant in all his house, 
noted down in the sacred books all the injunctions which were given him. And when the other prophets also followed him, bearing witness with one consent to the ordinances which he had appointed. For when rivalry arose concerning the priesthood, and the tribes were contending among themselves as to which of them should be adorned with that glorious title, he commanded the twelve princes of the tribes to bring him their rods, each one being inscribed with the name of the tribe, and he took them and bound them together and sealed them with the rings of the princes of the tribes, and laid them up in the tabernacle of witness on the table of God. And having shut the doors of the tabernacle, he sealed the keys, as he had done the rods, and said to them, Men and brethren, the tribe whose rod shall blossom has God chosen to fulfill the office of the priesthood, and to minister unto him. And when the morning was come, he assembled all Israel, six hundred thousand men, and showed the seals to the princes of the tribes, and opened the tabernacle of witness, and brought forth the rods. And the rod of Aaron was found not only to have blossomed, but to bear fruit upon it. This is from the book of Numbers, particularly the chapter, chapter 17. What think ye, beloved? Did not Moses know beforehand that this would happen? Undoubtedly he knew. But he acted thus that there might be no sedition in Israel, and that the name of the true and only God might be glorified, to whom the glory be for ever and ever. Amen. Chapter 44 states, The ordinances of the apostles, that there might be no contention respecting the priestly office. Our apostles also knew, through our Lord Jesus Christ, that there would be strife on account of the office of the episcopate. For this reason, therefore, inasmuch as they had obtained a perfect foreknowledge of this, they appointed those ministers already mentioned, and afterwards gave instructions, that when these should fall asleep, other approved men would succeed them in their ministry. We are of opinion, therefore, that those appointed by them, or afterwards by other eminent men, with the consent of the whole church, and who have blamelessly served the flock of Christ in a humble, peaceable, and disinterested spirit, and have for a long time possessed the good opinion of all, cannot be justly dismissed from the ministry. For our sin will not be small if we eject from the episcopate those who have blamelessly and holily fulfilled its duties. Blessed are those presbyters who, having finished their course before now, have obtained a fruitful and perfect departure from this world. For they have no fear lest any one deprive them of the place now appointed them. But we see that ye have removed some men of excellent behavior from the ministry, which they fulfilled blamelessly and with honor. You might note here that St. Clement appeals to apostolic authority in one of a very few amount of times. Now, we could say that this is something which shores up and supports the notion of apostolic succession in the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox sense. That is true. He does appeal to apostolic authority as being derived from the authority that Christ gave the apostles. However, consider the circumstances in which he lived when very few people had full copies of the Word of God available to them. 
And at this point, anybody could say that they were a Christian, that they were a teacher of theology. But with so many Judaizers and so many proto-Gnostics running around, the only way that you could truly make sure that somebody was who they said they were was some sort of endorsement from St. Peter or St. Paul or St. Matthew, who says, yes, we trained this man, or we trained the man who trained this man. If St. Clement was born at a later time in church history, we would wonder whether he would bank that much gravity and weight on apostolic authority. I suppose we will find out in heaven. Chapter 45 states, it is the part of the wicked to vex the righteous. Ye are fond of contention, brethren, and full of zeal about things which do not pertain to salvation. Look carefully into the scriptures, which are the true utterances of the Holy Spirit. Observe that nothing of an unjust or counterfeit character is written in them. There you will not find that the righteous were cast off by men who themselves were holy. The righteous were indeed persecuted, but only by the wicked. They were cast into prison, but only by the unholy. They were stoned, but only by transgressors. They were slain, but only by the accursed. And such as had conceived an unrighteous envy against them. Exposed to such sufferings, they endured them gloriously. For what shall we say, brethren? Was Daniel cast into the den of lions by such as feared God? Were Ananias and Azarias and Mishael shut up in a furnace of fire by those who observed the great and glorious worship of the Most High? Far from us be such a thought. Who then were they that did such things? The hateful and those full of all wickedness were roused to such a pitch of fury that they inflicted torture on those who served God with a holy and blameless purpose of heart not knowing that the Most High is the defender and protector of all such, with a pure conscience, venerate his all-excellent name, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. But they who with confidence endured these things are now heirs of glory and honor, and have been exalted and made illustrious by God in their memorial forever and ever. Amen. Note, real quick, in chapter 40 he says, Look carefully into the scriptures, which are the true utterances of the Holy Spirit. Observe that nothing of an unjust or counterfeit character is written in them. St. Clement wanted the entire church, laity and priests, both of them, to be reading scripture, to have access to Holy Scripture. And since he has cited and quoted both Old and New Testament, this demonstrates that there was knowledge during his time of a complete canon and, at the same time, that the scriptures were inerrant. We can discard the, the idea of some conspiracy theorists and the so-called anti-Pauline faction that the canon was this hodgepodge mess that only Constantine the gangster put together at the end of the Nicene Council. No, by St. Clement's day, they already had figured out what was scripture and what was not, with a few dissenting voices regarding books like 
Enoch or the Apocrypha, the Deuterocanon. Chapter 46 states, Let us cleave to the righteous. Your strife is pernicious. Such examples, therefore, brethren, it is right that we should follow, since it is written, Cleave to the holy, for those that cleave to them shall themselves be made holy. And again, in another place, the scripture saith, With a harmless man thou shalt prove thyself harmless, and with an elect man thou shalt be elect, and with a perverse man thou shalt show thyself perverse. Note that after he, before he quotes Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26, he says, Cleave to the holy, for those that cleave to them shall themselves be made holy. That's not found in Scripture. One of the reasons we distinguish between Scripture and lowercase or capital case T tradition is these church fathers are not infallible. St. Clement simply flubbed in his memory or thought he had heard that from the preaching of Holy Scripture at some point, but there's no quote to be had in the Bible that says, cleave to the holy, for those that cleave to them shall themselves be made holy. And we know that's not in the Deuterocanon because this edition of the Antinacene Fathers is produced by Roman Catholics who are happy to tell us when the Deuterocanon is cited. I digress. Let us cleave, therefore, to the innocent and righteous, since these are the elect of God. Why are there strifes and tumults and divisions and schisms and wars among you? Have we not all one God and one Christ? Is there not one Spirit of grace poured out upon us? And we have not one calling in Christ? Why do we divide and tear to pieces the members of Christ and raise up strife against our own body, and have reached such a height of madness as to forget that we are members one of another. That's from Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 5. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, Woe to that man by whom offenses come. It were better for him that he had never been born than that he should cast a stumbling block before one of my elect. Yea, it were better for him that a millstone should be hung about his neck and he should be sunk into the depths of the sea, than that he should cast a stumbling block before one of my little ones. Your schism has subverted this, the faith of many, has discouraged many, and given rise to doubt in many, and has caused grief to us all, and still your sedition continueth. That'll be enough for now for reading from St. Clement. We will continue on next week, but note the condemnation in the way he writes for sedition and schism. St. Clement writes before the time of the Arian heresy. He writes before the time of the uh, Oriental schism, when the Nestorian church was established. He writes before even the Great Schism, where parties that were either heretical, as in the case of Arius, needed to be schismed away from in established churches, or in times in which there is a stalemate, a draw, according to procedural disagreements, as we see with the Great Schism. Nothing like that was on his radar. For St. Clement, there is one church, there is one set of truths found in Holy Scripture, 
There is one Christ, you do not divide that. We might almost call his worldview here a little naive, given that in our times, and many others, schism has been a necessary thing. But, to his credit, he does advise for people to search the scriptures to find where that common ground and unity lay, something that we could learn from today. Next week, we will continue on reading this in what may very well be a lifetime of reading the Church Fathers. <laughs> but until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen. Amen.